On November 17, 2015, the popular Star Wars Battlefront video game series received its canon reboot, but two weeks earlier, the first canon video game tie-in novel made its appearance. Today on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast Canon Catch-Up, we'll be talking about Battlefront Twilight Company. Hello, and welcome to Canon Catch-Up on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. This is Morgan, though you may know me better as Instagram's Not A Force user, and I will be your host for today's episode. I am joined by an amazing pair of contributors today. Uh, first, I'm excited to announce Christy, who goes by Admiral Reads on social media and also serves as host of the incredible Book Ascendancy Podcast. Now, Christy's already been on with her Book Ascendancy co-host, Connor, for our Tales of Light and Life episode, uh, but this is her first time joining us for a Canon Catch-Up. Hello and welcome, Christy. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're very excited to have you as well. Um, our second panelist for today should be incredibly familiar to listeners. Uh, we have unlocked the doors to release him from the Legends Library. It's Journals of the Wills himself. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. Hello, Morgan. Hiya, Christy. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's great. I think this is going to be a really good episode. I think the three of us together are going to have a good time. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Today we're talking about Battlefront Twilight Company, which seems like virtually no one has read or wants to remember well enough to talk about or wants to talk about. So big kudos to our contributors for their willingness to be here today. Um, just recently, when I was on an episode with Chris, he said that his his thing was that he would do any canon catch-up except for this one. So, wow. <laughs> wow. Kudos to you guys for, for being here. I know, I know, right? I'm going to give it a brief introduction now, and then we'll jump right into discussing our thoughts, feelings, interpretations, all that kind of stuff. Um, so Battlefront Twilight Company, much like its video game counterpart, is set in the heart of the military action of the original film trilogy. But instead of focusing on the big, glamorous heroes, the novel delves into the trenches, quite literally. Uh, the 61st Mobile Infantry, better known as Twilight Company, is, as stated on the publisher's summary, a renegade outfit who doggedly survive when others perish, using defiance as their most powerful weapon against the deadliest odds. Orders are not alone and outgunned, but unbowed. Twilight Company locks, loads, and prepares to make its boldest maneuver, trading down and dirty battle in the trenches for a game-changing strike at the ultimate target, the very heart of the Empire's military machine. Uh, there are a number of point-of-view characters uh, and main characters that we follow, both members of Twilight Company and Imperials. So it's kind of cool we get a very wide variety of viewpoints throughout the course of this novel. Um, even though the tone for most of it remains pretty gritty, pretty downtrodden, it really gives us a true boots-on-the-ground view into these savage realities of war. Um, with that said, we want to jump into our overall impressions of the novel first. Um, and if it's okay with you, Christy, we'll start with you. Like you were just saying, Morgan, I understand why there's not a lot of talks about this book, but I would arguably say it's like one of my most underrated Star Wars books out of all Star Wars books. And it's because of how different it is. And it's truly, I would even argue it's more of like a war book than it is a Star Wars book. And I thought it was just so cool because when you look at the rebellion, you kind of just think of like Princess Leia and Luke. You don't think of like all the soldiers and what they had to go through. And it's just so dark and it's not good. Like, think about this rebellion was 
it did not have the strongest backbone and this book proves that I think it just like really puts in perspective of how this little force trying to take down a giant empire and I completely understand why people may not like it because it's so different than anything we've seen and it's so much darker and there's not a lot of hope but I think that's just what made me like it more when I first read it yeah I really like that that's the idea that the darkness and the grittiness of this one which might drive some people away being what pulls you in that's that's really cool to think about Johnny what about you what are are your overall impressions I had two different experiences with this book I first tried to read it maybe in the sort of six months or so after it was published and that was just around the time I was kind of hitting a reading slump of my own and I really yeah. struggled with it I really struggled I kind of went through it I, I, this is a recurring theme with me in a lot of books other Star Wars books that were published around about that time I'd pick them up I'd get a little way into them and either I put them back on the shelf unfinished or I just sort of I'd sort of finish it off on audio this is one I think I read the first chapter you know that, that opening chapter which, which sort of tells a bit provides a bit of the backstory uh, for the main character Mm -hmm. and I was just like I don't know who this guy is I don't know why I care I I just wasn't feeling it you know and maybe at that point I hadn't read enough Star Wars books to sort of to appreciate that sometimes the gems are to be found in those stories that don't focus on the main characters but I think maybe I found that to be a stumbling block straight out of the gate but that said, I came back to Twilight Company about two years ago as part of a sort of, I made this concerted effort to box off all of the canon. I'm going to finish all the books I never finished. I'm going to read everything else. I'm going to get completely caught up. And I came to Twilight Company completely fresh and loved it. Just I, whatever reservations I had had just disappeared. And I was, I was just in the right brain space for it, you know? Um, yeah. so, so definitely the, the experience I had, first of all, was, was another one of those, it's not you, it's me situations. It just, it wasn't the book's fault. It was just, I was in the wrong place. Um, I love, as, like Christy said, I love that this is dark. It's gritty. It dares to be darker and grittier, but it's, it's not all dark gritty. This is the, the, the characters are really interesting. There is yes. some humor in it. Sometimes it's gallows humor, but, but it's <laughs> yeah. there, you know, um, I find myself very invested in all of these characters from the get-go and fascinated yes. by the dynamics um, that, that Freed creates between some of them as well. I think it's hugely successful and I wish more people, um, and maybe, maybe there were folk like me who did struggle with it first blush and haven't finished it or, or, or just haven't put off by the general idea of it, but I'd strongly encourage everybody to give it a go because it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think that I probably had a similar, not entirely the same experience as you, Johnny, but like the first time I read through this, um, I tried reading it in like physical form, reading the actual book. And I got to the point where I'm like, I'm never going to read this if I just try to read this book. It it felt like work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this shouldn't feel like work. Um, so when I then I put it on audiobook and I listened to it from the beginning again and immediately on that audiobook listen, I'm like, oh, like no, this is this is fine. 
I don't yeah. know what it was about the physical <laughs> words on paper. I think it might have been trying, like, I would think I was reading one of the mass market paperback ones. And those mm -hmm. ones are always just harder for me to read for some reason. It's like you like get tiny, tiny font on the pages. And now you're used to, like, the other side of the book. Like, sometimes we'll talk about that at work. It's like, once you finally go back to a mass market after reading, like, the bigger paperback sizes, it's so difficult to, like, focus on it. Yeah, it's it's really difficult to focus in and, and pay attention to the words at that point. But listening to it on audio, I loved it. And I mean, it's not not harmed in any way by the fact that generally speaking, all of our Star Wars audio narrators are excellent um, and that they do put in such heart and soul and all these effects and all the, the voices are always mm -hmm. super helpful in that. Um, that said, there were probably moments where my mind drifted. Uh, as I was as I was listening because it is it is a long slog and it does have that sense of hopelessness a lot of times throughout the novel that said it's still a really I think worthwhile piece of the larger puzzle that is canon so I, I agree with you guys on that one mm -hmm. um, Johnny you pointed out a little bit about characters and like while we did kind of note that there's a variety of characters here I think it can be argued that we do have a main character and that's uh, Hazram Namir, our Twilight Company sergeant, who's known nothing but battles since pretty much he was old enough to fight, right? His mm -hmm. journey, in a lot of ways, feels like it's, at least to me, the emotional heart of yeah. this this novel, right? Um, so what do you make, Johnny, first, of Namir's character and his journey throughout this story? I mean, he's fascinating, right? Because he, he's not a believer, as far as the rebellion is concerned, you know, you know, he's not fighting, at least initially, he's not fighting because, uh, you know, he, he hates the Empire. He's grown up on this awful planet um, that's been ravaged by wars upon wars upon wars of competing warlords. And just, you know, as a child soldier, just sort of signed up to fight for one of them um, and got caught up in the endless cycle of war. Uh, you know, and then you know, as his backstory unfolds over the course of the novel, obviously, you know, we see how he then got involved in the rebellion, and basically, it was his way off planet. It was his way to another life, in yeah. a way. Um, and it's fascinating over the course of the book to see that you know you know he, he's not mercenary he's not just in it for himself you know even f f when we first meet him as a as an adult soldier in the rebellion you know it's clear that he's there fighting maybe not for the republic and for what it believes in but for the people standing by his side you mm -hmm. know he, he cares about his his people in, in the company uh, and that's what keeps him going you know and even as they suffer some pretty hard setbacks over the course of the novel this idea of giving the company something to fight for giving the people next to him something to live for that's what motivates him i find that really really fascinating it is i really like in addition how he frequently says that if he ever truly does not believe that he's on the right side if he ever truly loses faith in the rebellion that he'll quit that he'll leave mm, yeah and you never really see that happening because it's not necessarily about the rebellion. It's about the people beside him. Yeah. It's not that he's got faith in this big overarching idea. It's that he's got faith in the people next to him. Yeah. He doesn't have the luxury of thinking about grand political ideas. None of them do, you know, yeah. they, they are in the mud, you know, and they like, are literally, literally surviving <laughs> one skirmish to the next. Um, 
it's a fascinating insight and it's a side of the rebellion that we haven't really seen not really on screen and not really elsewhere in prose alexander fried maybe we'll maybe might touch on this later gets into yeah. that territory in other, in other books but yeah how about you, Christy? What, what are your thoughts on Namir and his his experiences throughout this book? My top thing was, just like you guys were talking about, was to have this main character that's in the rebellion just because, in a way, he has to be. And because, like, not that it was his... He believes in it slightly, but, like, it kind of was, like, his only choice. And it's so interesting to see that for a rebellion character, not someone in the Empire. And Mm -hmm. him having to be a leader for his friends and, like, he just, like, you see him just being so confused at times. And I just, it's so cool to have a main character and like follow that because it's not just like simple like I'm fighting for what I believe in it's him fighting for his friends because that's really who he believes in and I think it's also interesting to have such a character that's so headstrong and hard but loves his friends that much even if he doesn't really want to show it (laughs) speaking of his friends uh Twilight Company does have quite the variety of characters right um were there any, like, for you, Christy, that particularly stuck out to you as you were reading through the novel? I did the Governor Chalice. I'm so bad with names, yeah. so I am so sorry if I mispronounced that. But I feel like she added such a nice dynamic to the book and so much tension where she seemed good at times, but you never really knew if she could, if, like, you could trust, you as the reader could trust her and if they as yeah. the other characters in the book but she was also like such like a cool like independent and like strong person and I just love the different aspects at least with her relationship with the other characters that she brought to the book. She does serve as like almost an excellent foil for Namir in some ways and that she's got she is the overarching plan person she's got these schematics in her head whereas he's just the I gotta make it through today and I got to make sure that the people around me make it through today. And she's like, no, but there's there's plans. You got to make these big plans. And he's like, no, you got to make it through today. Yeah. And, and I love that that tension between those two isn't isn't resolved at the end of the novel. No. You know, th- you know, they, they have a confrontation at the end towards the end of the novel um, and they end up going their separate ways. And then afterward, you know, she sends him this video message saying, I wish you'd been, you know, I, I, I wish you you trusted me. You know, yeah, but 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 he did what was absolutely right for his people on the day, you know. Um, they both they, they they both are true to themselves all the way to the end, even though they're kind of on opposing sides of that spectrum. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so interesting, and I think it also what makes this book kind of like more realistic in a way. Like if you look at people in real life, you're gonna have those people that just want to get the work done, and you're gonna have those people that is like slow down. And a lot of times people don't want to change who they are. And I think that might going back to like people not wanting to read this book. It's like, because I think it's just like, it's so real in a way, especially with the characters. And Johnny, did you have a uh, particular character that you enjoyed or maybe didn't enjoy um, in Twilight Company? I, so many of them. I mean, Alexander Freed does such a good job of making you care about people really, really quickly. Um, I, I find Brand fascinating. This yeah. um, I, I don't know how old she's meant to be. She comes across as sort of a you know middle-aged 
bounty hunter. She's seen a bit of the world. Um, you know, and, and when when she was first introduced, I kind of thought, okay, she's she's a bounty hunter. I guess it's a Star Wars novel. You've got to throw a bounty hunter in. So, I don't know if, if you're gonna make want to make this character memorable. Tell us she's a bounty hunter, and that's kind of cool. But then he tells you that well, she joined the company because she was contracted to kill the commanding officer, and in the moment that she had him at gunpoint and they were having a conversation, she changed her mind. Now I'm interested in that character, you know, more than just sort of her bounty hunter status kind of being a gimmick, you know? It's like, oh, that's interesting. There is a story there. And that makes the dynamic between her and the commanding officer and her and the other people around her really interesting, you know? Um, And she does become a really interesting character through, you know, throughout and she has some really nice POV moments as well interestingly sidebar and i'd forgotten about this there is a short story tying into twilight company i think it was written by alexander freed as well and it star it, it features brand and it shows you that backstory where she has the confrontation with howl okay is that one of the insider stories yes it's it's in oh, it's okay. in either star wars insider fiction volume one or volume two can't remember gotcha. which gotcha. um yeah, no, I think she's a fascinating character. Really enjoyed reading her. She but there's so many others as well. Just a little sort of... The book does this great job of, like, you know... There's a there's a character called Charmer who is in, <laughs> injured in sort of the, you know, the early, one of the yeah. early skirmishes when, when, when they capture Ivari Chalice, the governor. And then later on down the line, um, he's unceremoniously killed. And when it, remi- it reminds me of those sorts of beats in th- you know things like the Clone Wars, where you become really invested in a I don't know a background clone like Waxer or Boyle, and then three seasons later, you know, you see them die, you know, yeah, it, and it hits you because you spent time with these characters, you know. But yeah. um, the book doesn't shy away from the fact that some of these people are not making it out of here, and, yeah. and the way that their deaths are presented to you is it's unceremonious and mm-hmm. just, it's not fancy. It wasn't a glorious death. It was just, and Charmer didn't come back, you know. Yeah, it's, it's full of characters who just yeah, their comings and goings are remarkable for one reason or another. Yeah, Roach is another character that like that, right? Yes. Like that. Namir mm. develops this like almost instantaneous like camaraderie with and care for this this character and he doesn't yeah. really get like what the background is and like we eventually discover that she's like a recovering spice addict and there's all of this this stuff um but she at least gets the the big glorious death or at least a, a somewhat more glorious <laughs> death which yeah but, but but even that's interesting because well, actually what we hear is Gadrin uh, the best yeah, of this character telling it yeah. t- telling um namir about roach's last stand yeah uh, and i think he's heard it second or third hand himself and you know and yeah. namir says do you believe that and get Ga- i know gavin's only response is something like there are no certainties in war you know but but he chooses yeah. to believe that this amazing yeah. story of roach's last huzzah you know because it's what gets them through True. exactly and Gadrin is just so interesting as well, right? Because he's like this warrior poet, if you will, yeah. where he always has this like really insightful thing to say. And it's also really hilarious if you're listening to it on audio too, because he's he is a basilisk, right? So he's, they do like, that voice, like, yeah, real deep, like oh gosh, voice. It's it's so good. I love yeah. it. Um, so in addition to these characters that we are really made to feel a lot for, 
Um, there are also a few appearances from characters that are a little bit more well-known to our Star Wars fans. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, how did these cameo appearances work for you guys? And did you perhaps have a favorite? Johnny, can we start with you on this one? Yeah, I mean, the, the standout one for me is a character who isn't even named yes. in, in the story, you know. But you know, within moments of his introduction, that uh, the sort of the non-uniformed spaceship captain that Namir is sharing a bottle of something alcoholic with uh, at Echo Base is Han Solo. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I love the way Alexander Freed writes it because, you know, he's not Han Solo. He's not the Han Solo to Namir. He's just some guy who's okay. ha- who's working on his ship, you know, while in, in the same area where Namir is sort of paying his penance. He's got into a bar fight or something and he's having to shift cargo containers around or something and at the end of this yeah. awful shift he sits down on the ramp of the falcon with han solo and they drink and have this chat about why they're in this and why they're fighting and it's just a beautiful beautiful scene you know and, and i love that free doesn't there's no bells and whistles there's no fanfare that it's han solo namir has this chance encounter with, with someone um and it's just beautiful yeah, no, I'm really happy that you mentioned that one because one of my other friends around Instagram, um, Corey, who is Grim Dark Dad on mm. Instagram, he told me that this book had his favorite Star Wars cameo of all time. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And that was it. So yeah. that, that was exciting to hear you also enjoyed that one. Chrissy, what about you? Were there any other uh, character appearances that you enjoyed? I did more, a bigger one. I did like Darth Vader because I just love how he like as soon as Namir like it's just like the fear that like entered that man's body with with, like just the men like it's just so crazy and one of my favorite things not just this book and any new Star Wars book coming out any new Star Wars show coming out is them really trying to show how powerful Vader is and I think this book just like is another one on that newer Vader list. And I, I just loved it because it really shows like how terrifying he is. And especially for people who aren't like Luke or yes. or anything like that. It's, it's for just a regular everyday person that's being confronted by this looming giant hunk <laughs> of man and machine who, with a red lightsaber who can kill you with a thought. Um, that's literally it's it's done really well in here I think as well too Uh, the other one that I want to shout out obviously is uh, Nian Nunn because (laughs) this is when we see him as the Sullivan rebellion person right this is the background that we get um, where I think we talked before um, was it us that talked about this um, Johnny on our moving target one where the characterization is a little bit different. Yeah, he shows up with a bit more swagger in Moving Target, doesn't he? <laughs> I think it's just because he's drunk the entire time in Moving Target. <laughs> <laughs> After reading this, though, you can understand why um, mm. he's that he is that character who's a leading figure and a hero of his own right in the Solaston Rebellion movement. Um, and he has to be serious and he has to be in charge and he has to do all of these things there. So it's kind of nice, like seeing 
kind of the bridge between those two points in terms yeah. of why maybe he might need to be drunk all the time once he's in the full rebellion um, and yeah. ferrying around Leia. Yeah, or, or, you know, or just enjoying maybe being free of the responsibilities of having That's to true. lead that rebellion on Solace, yeah. you know, but as you know, he gets to go out into the galaxy and maybe he feels like he's being a bit more proactive rather than on the back yeah. foot sort of guerrilla fighting in tunnels, you know. Although I have to say, while running in Nam, I, I revisited this on audiobook in the last um, few days, and the pronunciation of Nian Num cracked me up. <laughs> the, the the narrator yeah. insisted on pronouncing the B at the end, really, pr- yep. it, but almost adding a vowel sound afterwards, like number or something. I gotta listen to this audiobook now. It was almost like a nub. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was very odd. Very odd. Yeah. It, it was a little strange. I was like, is that how I'm, most, I'm supposed to say that name? Like, I don't, it really I'm isn't. So it really isn't. Yeah. It really, it, yeah. Um, uh, so, so someone got the pronunciation guide wrong on that one, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're getting close to the end here. We're going to, one more question before we get to our final wrap up question. Um, so, this was Alexander Freed's first Star Wars canon novel. Uh, he had done some comic work prior to the Disney acquisition. But this was decidedly not his last Star Wars canon novel. Um, later down the line, he had authored the Rogue One adult novelization, the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, um, and hopefully we'll probably see some more from him in the future, I'm guessing, because this seems to be some area where he, he really shines. Uh, but do you guys see any echoes of this particular volume in the later work that he does in Star Wars? And if it's okay, Christy, we'll start with you on this one. I definitely think for sure, even though none of his um, other books like Alphabet Squadron and all that is as dark as this one, you definitely see compared to other Star Wars, it is on the darker side and it's more on the real side, like real people with emotions that aren't happy all the time. And this is just war. And I feel like you see that in a lot of his books and I think that's what just makes them so different, but also a nice breath of fresh air and something new and just something so intriguing and deep when you really think about it. And I I just, I do really like his writing style, so I hope to see more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny, do you agree? You want to see more of Alexander Freed? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I've said it before in the podcast, maybe when I was talking to Jesse on Legends Library about one of Alexander Freed's Old Republic comics. I mean, mm-hmm. when I'm reading a Freed novel, I I don't think it's right to say I'm enjoying it. I, I don't have a good time because there, <laughs> are, there are awful things happening to people all the time and they're, they're always going through the ringer, you know, and he, he writes conflict so well and not just Mm -hmm. you know physical warfare type conflict but interpersonal conflict you know to the point where it's quite uncomfortable to read sometimes and you see shades of that here in twilight Mm -hmm. company in things like the namir chalice relationship um Mm -hmm. which goes unresolved as i said before you know you know they remain true to themselves all the way to the end even though that means they end up on opposing sides once again um, and I definitely see shades of that in things like the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, where I think he really lets those books are so character forward. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I think at times, perhaps to the detriment of plot development, 
but he just he just lets the characters be themselves and where where those characters find themselves at loggerheads none neither of them relent <laughs> you know uh he just he and he just lets those interpersonal conflicts play out over a very long game over three novels in that case um yeah. which which i love um the other thing he does so well which i love is you know he, he writes trauma and traumatized people really yes. really well uh, and i think alphabet squadron really takes that to the next level um there are seeds of it here i mean i, I would say that a lot of the characters in twilight company they are traumatized they are being traumatized but they're not yet they don't yet have enough distance from the events they're going through to really be mm -hmm. processing any of it yeah whereas i think in alphabet squadron maybe because it's that later stage of the war maybe it's the nature of the rules that those characters have where they're sitting around they're pilots so they're sitting around waiting and they have a lot of time for introspection it feels like you spend a lot more time with them dealing with their various traumas Whereas here in Twilight Company, you, the reader, can see that they're traumatized, they're being traumatized, but they're just, they're, they're coping day to day and they're not really dealing with what they're going through. They're just surviving. Yeah. And that's really fascinating. Um, I, I would love to see him get a crack at similar, similar style, but maybe in a different time period on the timeline, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, an Alexander Freed High Republic novel would be an amazing thing. That'd be oh crazy. Can you can you imagine, you know, Alexander Freed, you know, once everything's done and dusted, somebody somebody saying to him, oh, I don't know, write us a story about some, I don't know, Jedi and members of the Republic who were traumatized by the fall of Starlight Beacon. Go. I want that now. Not, I don't want him to write about Jedi, though. I don't know. I don't I don't think that that's the, the area yeah, that I want. That, that is, that is I, I, want him, I want him to write about the every person. Yeah. Some, some some planet that had been hit by the Nile yeah. and, and the aftermath of that. He he does in the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. Though he he does, and in some of his comics, actually, yeah, he does enjoy the mystical stuff. And there's oh, yeah. there there are these little moments in some of his other stories where he can't quite stay away from it, even though <laughs> the, his main plot is about yeah. you know on the ground people. He's just like, oh yeah, but it's a Star Wars galaxy, and here's something <laughs> mystical for you, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like, to, I would like to for see sure. him given a chance just to explore that a little bit more. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No, I, I agree with both of you in that he, he does excel very much in writing, mostly that that every person, um, the normal. I don't want to say normal because is anybody really normal in war? Um, but that normal experience that yeah. every soldier might have um, and that people could probably relate to. Um, I, I wonder if these books would be triggering or if they would be cathartic in some ways to someone yeah. who's gone through those experiences. Um, I mean, I, 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 I find Alphabet Squadron... I mean, I, I've had trauma therapy, you know, yeah. I find Alphabet Squadron quite a difficult read, you mm -hmm. know, simply because of what they're dealing with. And yeah, it, as I say, I don't, I don't find it an enjoyable experience, but I love that I, I can see that he knows what he's talking about. You yeah. know, he, he's either gone through trauma therapy or he uh, has done his homework in yeah. terms of how trauma affects people. You know, um, it, it is very well researched, very well put together. And, and even though I, I think some people might find it triggering, it's also kind of cathartic, yeah. you know, um, 
but maybe, you know, yeah, maybe maybe they should come with a trigger warning for folk. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like if you if you're going into it reading the description, that's almost a trigger warning in some ways. Is yeah, this is what you're getting. This is, this is the yeah. war story. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that we're about at the point where we're we're probably ready to wrap up. Um, and that being said, I would love to hear what your final thoughts on this book are, and maybe what you would say to someone who might be on the fence about picking up. Um, Battlefront, Twilight Company. Johnny, you want to go first? Okay, I mean, if you're considering reading Star Wars books or your primary goal for reading Star Wars books because you want to learn more about the main characters uh, and you want the fun, happy, swashbuckle Flash Gordon Star Wars, this isn't your bag. No. Um, But if you're ready to, you know, put on your big boy pants and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and try, and try some and try something new and challenging, um, and something that gives you, I, I think, in the canon, a fairly unique insight into mm-hmm. what the realities of the rebellion might have been like for for the folk on the ground fighting it. That then definitely pick this up. Um, if you're on the fence, just get off the fence. Just do it. Just do it. Uh, I, I think it is an astonishingly good book. It is criminally underrated. Um, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Lovely. And Chrissy, what about you? I agree. First thing I said was just just do it. Like, if you want a different perspective of what, especially like if you're like a fan of the original trilogy, like this this is perfect because it's really down to like what was happening then and this is kind of weird but like if you like war movies obviously you're gonna like this one i am a weird person that i only watch star wars and like disney movies but there's a part of me that loves just to see war movies and what that was like for people so if you have that part in you then this is perfect and i just i love that you can you appreciate all the characters in these this book so much they're so different than anything you've seen and you just you really you end up growing to care about them and you're just like wow and I just love how real it was and it's not trying to sugarcoat anything and it's like this this is war yeah no I I agree um and I think that one of the things that's What's cool about this book is even if you're not really a big fan of all of the action sequences, and the action sequences are very well written, the war sequences themselves are very, very well done, the battle sequences, if you will, but the the real shining points of this, of this book, as you said, are the characters and those character interactions and that feeling of just watching them slog through doggedly hit after hit after hit and and keep going is it's it's wonderful and it's it's an experience that i think that a lot of people maybe don't know that they need to have um following these sorts of things but i think that it it's in some ways expansive of your worldview obviously this is not the real world but these are fiction can teach you a lot about real life in the real world um and all of Freed's stories, especially the Alphabet Squadron ones and, and this one, are so good at teaching you more about what it's like to go through difficult things and to 
kind of come to terms with those difficult things and to determine who you are in the face of those difficult things. Um, that said, if you also just really enjoyed the scene in Solo where Han is like climbing through the mud on a planet when he's a soldier, this is for you, man. This this is this is your book. True that. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, Christy, should our listeners want to hear more from you, how might they be able to find you on the vast expanses <laughs> of the internet? You can find me on Instagram at Admiral Reads, and you could also find me on my podcast, Book Ascendancy. Which is a lovely podcast, by the way. Thank you so much. And Johnny, I, I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening probably already knows where to find you. But just in case we have a rogue listener who's never heard a Johnny episode before, <laughs> where can you be found? Well, every episode is somebody's first episode, right? Exactly. Uh, you can find me, folks, um, on Instagram or threads as at Journals of the Wills. That's journals with an S and wills with an itch. Yeah. And I am not a force user on mostly Instagram, a little bit threads and stuff like that, too. And I'm trying to do TikTok, but it's, it's a struggle. <laughs> well, this has been the Battlefront Twilight Company episode of Canon Catch-Up. Join us back here next week as our resident comic gurus, which sounds better than shit boys, uh, dive into the Princess Leia comic and keep your eyes peeled for some exciting new specials that we may have in coming up on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Bye. Bye.